Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another episode of the Irish NFL Show. We know Santa Claus was probably nice to all of you, but we decided to give you one more wee little treat for Christmas. Nicholas Sturgeon may have cancelled Hogmanay, but we decided to give you a little wee Scottish treat. A Scottish-born player who not only played in the NFL for over a decade, um, but of course won two Super Bowls during his time and set a few key records I'm sure we'll touch on during the show. Very welcome to the show uh, from now based in Kansas City, but Lawrence Tynes, formerly of the New York Giants and Kansas City Chiefs. Lawrence, delighted to have you with us. Thank you guys for having me. This is uh, really cool. Who would have ever thought I would be doing a NFL Ireland, NFL UK? I mean, this is uh, it's really cool to how far the game has spread. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly truly international. And like I alluded to, you were you know you weren't just Scottish born and just went back to the US. You you lived there for for ten years, yeah. didn't you? I mean, your dad was a SEAL, yeah. I believe, and before yeah. you moved back to the US. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Um, you know, moving to to Florida from Scotland is a pretty good move, right? From the beaches and sun to the, you know, get out of the rain. Um, but, you know, what's even more interesting now is that there's another Scottish kicker kicking for the Giants now in Graham Gano. So uh, very similar stories. He moved to the same area in Florida where I grew up. His dad was in the Navy. Um, so the stories are just uncanny how parallel they are. And so, you know, obviously he's one of the best kickers in the NFL. So hopefully we see some more Scots. I did see that the, uh, the punter just got released today, I believe. And the Browns, yeah. Yeah, from the Browns. So, well, the Giants could sign him. We need a punter. So you might as well have a Scottish specialist crew. So that would be pretty cool. Uh, LT, I suppose uh, there was a, a trend on Twitter recently where people were tweeting, you know, their favorite kind of uh, sports athlete at the moment and their favorite athlete from when they were 10 years old. And uh, you had Xavier McKinney uh, for your athlete now. And you had Paul McStay for your athlete when you were 10 years old. And uh, I, that definitely caught our eye. I'm sure there are people over here who maybe weren't aware of your uh, Scottish connections. But, you know, you spent the, the first 10 years in Scotland. Were you aware of the NFL at all at that point? No. Or was it all just uh, just football or rugby? Or, or, or can, you, can you talk us I, through, through that and when you became aware of the NFL? Yeah, I, I knew nothing about the NFL. It was Celtic, 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 right? That's all I ever knew. Um, Paul McStay is obviously my favorite player of all time. I wanted to be Paul McStay. I feel like I would have been had I stayed there. Um, but what's ironic is before I left, like literally like two weeks before we moved to the States, um, I played in a tournament in Glasgow, like an indoor. And we got approached by Rangers, boys my mom did or my dad, somebody. And they wanted me to come up to Glasgow and do, you know, I was in Campbelltown at the time. So they wanted me to come up and do like a tryout thing. They actually wanted to, you know, me to come play for them. So I'm glad I didn't have to make that decision. Um, Cause a Celtic boy playing for Rangers. I just, I don't know that I could have done it um, being as a Celtic fan as I much as a Celtic fan as I was. Although I know Mo Johnson was the first one to do it. Um, but yeah, the, the, this, this whole journey has been absolutely wild. Um, you know, I just never envisioned, um, you know, playing in the NFL. I never saw the NFL till I moved to Florida. And then, you know, it was kind of the sport that all the cool guys played, I guess you could say. Um, and a lot of people went to those games. So I said, I have to somehow figure out, you know, a position that I can play. And I started playing, 
you know, my junior year when I was 16, 17 years old and it worked out. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy how things work out. LT, that, that journey obviously started off initially with the Chiefs. You're a practice, practice squad player, but you did have a, a brief period back in the NFL Europe with the, with the Claymores, and then obviously you, you moved on to the Canadian League. Did that help in terms of just your progression towards moving into the league itself, the NFL League? thousand percent. Yeah, I don't think without NFL Europe or the CFL, I would have made it. Um, you know, there's only 32 people in the world that get the kick in the NFL. And so, you know, if you get some experience, I, you know, obviously Scotland was great because um, I would go to practice and then come back to the hotel, which was in the center of Glasgow at the train station. And I just take the train over to my granny's and go eat some soup or, you know, into Port Glasgow or Greenock or Port Glasgow is where my granny lived and just go over there and hang out with them. So it was like a three month vacation where I actually was with my family. So it was really cool. Uh, they didn't know what the hell they were watching when they came to football games. They just knew I kicked the ball but it was really good to be around family. Um, yeah, the, those two leagues, the CFL for sure got me ready because it's three down football. A lot of people don't understand that game. It's, just, it's football, but it only has three downs. And I got to kick a crazy amount of field goals. You know, I think my second year up there, I was 51 for 62 on field goals. So being able to produce in a professional league, uh, you know, the Grey Cup has actually been around longer than the Super Bowl. And so you play in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people and it gets you ready. It gets you confident. And so after that second year in Canada, I had, oof, I think I had 10 offers. So over a third of the NFL wanted to sign me. And of course I went back to Kansas city just because I was familiar with the organization. They gave, they probably gave me the most money. I don't remember. Um, but I knew I could beat out Morton Anderson. So uh, fortunately I did. I still think I'm the only player that's ever beaten Morton Anderson out. And it's good because I don't really like Morton Anderson. Uh, you beat him. Out. We can touch on that. That's another podcast. That's a whole another <laughs> podcast. I'm, I'm very tempted to go into that, given he scored the second most amount of points in NFL history, mm -hmm. I think, in the Terry. Well, Mitchell we can do another so. show maybe in the offseason because the Big Dane, me and the Big Dane almost got into it one day. So scottish denmark relations were definitely cold and thawy it sounds that's right uh, we will definitely come back to that with you with another time lawrence but you mentioned about going to the chiefs and obviously breaking through into the the the, the main squad there obviously um when you came back from nfl europe and from the cfl and we've been fortunate enough to interview a load of people on this show we actually interviewed graham gano you just alluded to obviously the current new york giants kicker and harrison bucker the current kansas city chiefs kicker and your connections with both those places ring through because obviously your time in both places. But how did your move really? Because a lot of people associate you with the Giants. Obviously, you you follow them very strongly now as well still. And the key kicks in your career probably in the postseason came in your time in the Giants. How did that move from the Chiefs to the Giants come about? And what was your whole process through that period? Well, um, you know, I had gotten into a little bit of a contract dispute. I, I, I signed my tender. They offered me a one-year tender. They offered me a long-term deal that I thought was not market worthy. So I didn't sign it. So I signed my tender. Um, and then obviously the, the chiefs drafted a kid named Justin Medlock. He may still be in the CFL. I don't know. Um, but they took him out of UCLA. The general manager drafted him. He was a talented kicker. He had a great college career. And he only played like one game in the NFL with the Chiefs. And then he had a cup of tea with the Panthers down the road. But the Chiefs cut him after one game. So 
but him being drafted, which kind of accelerated a little bit of my exodus, because when they drafted him, they don't typically cut fifth round picks, especially kickers. Um, so I went up to the general manager and said, look, he's a UCLA guy or general manager. He was the one who made the medlock pick. Our special teams coach, Mike Prefer, who was the interim head coach for the Browns the other night, um, he didn't even know they were taking this kid. Mike had never seen him kick. So this was more of a GM pick. Obviously, they didn't think much of him. They cut him after one game. So I just went up to the general manager and said, look, I, I want to be traded. And so uh, he gave me three options. It was the New Orleans Saints, Houston Texans, and New York Giants. So all three teams were offering, I believe it was a seventh-round pick. So um, T-Mac, Thomas McGahee, current Giants special yeah. teams coach, was the assistant there. Well, T-Mac and I have – T-Mac's like my brother. Like, we're like family. Like, he was my special teams coach in Scotland. He was with me in Kansas City. And so me and T-Mac have been connected forever. So T-Mac made the move, you know, pitched me to the organization. They traded me for a seventh-round pick. And, you know, the best thing that, about getting traded, and naturally it works out for you, is A, you win a Super Bowl that year. I think the Chiefs were 2-14. and 14. But they went through, like, six kickers over the next – three or four seasons until they found Ryan suck up. So, you know, we all have egos in, in sports, but um, it's always good when you see teams struggle after they trade you <laughs> just that little Scottish, you know, whatever I have in me that pissed me off, but um, it's kind of what helped me play so long. Uh, yeah. And play very well. Cause you remain the only kicker to have kicked two game winning field goals in, in overtime. And uh, we will get into that, but the lads always laugh. I love to do questions where you would take people back and I want to take you back to week 17 of that 07 season okay. giants against the Pats. And I suppose that there's always, you know, teams sometimes rest up before the playoffs, but Tom Coughlin, goes out plays a, a, a full team um and you know the the response the response is was it's kind of lauded by all the analysts there's the famous kind of john madden kind of um say you know calling it out in the voicemail and i'm just wondering from a player's perspective were was that was it a big deal for players was it just what tom would ordinarily do can, can you talk to us maybe just a little bit around around that in terms of like the the momentum and obviously going into the playoffs and what would follow that yeah that was that was the mental makeup of that team we wanted to play the best team we knew the Patriots were the best team throughout the regular season the Antonio Pierce's the Strahan's the Tucks the OC's like we that's what kind of guys it takes to win a Super Bowl so when guys want to compete they want to compete against Tom Brady and Randy Moss and Welker and all those guys and Belichick so in some ways, to me, that game felt almost as big as the Super Bowl. If I, if thinking back on them, because if you remember, right, like three different care, uh, networks carried that game. It was a humongous game. And there was this air of, you know, walking out in pregame, this tenseness in the air that I still remember. Um, one of the obviously biggest regular season games I've ever played in in my life, but it just felt, so cool and obviously we came up a little bit short but again we 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 knew we could play with that team we really felt like we matched up well with them and obviously we proved that you know five weeks later six weeks later in the Super Bowl so um you know it was just one of those teams Tom Brady uh the Giants have his number 
You know, I think everyone has a team. I really do. And now Tom Brady is the Saints. He's got to figure out the Saints. But um, and and Tom Coughlin has Belichick's number. You guys could fact check this, but I want to say Tom Coughlin's the only coach that has a winning record against Bill Belichick over time. I think it's like it's close. It's like five and four, but it's postseason and regular season combined. Tom Coughlin has a winning record against Belichick. LT Mark's a Patriots fan, so he probably definitely confirmed that. I'm sorry I think I think Sean Payton also does, but Tom Coughlin because Pay, uh, the Saints have had the Pats number a few times, but Tom Coughlin definitely had um, yeah. Belichick. I think he does. does. It's either five hundred or five and four. I'm not specifically sure, but I think it's um, five and four. I I do know. Okay. okay, so there it is, and he's the only coach, right? I mean, Sean Payton. I don't think has a winning record, does he? No, I th- I well, I think Payton does as well because uh, Breeze okay. always had a winning record over Brady, so basically the same Ooh. eras. That's but, a little nugget. I didn't know that. Yeah. LT, I'll take you to the championship game that year, one before the Super Bowl. As a Giants fan, it probably sounds a bit strange, but I got a better buzz out of that game when you went, when you kicked the winning field goal in Green Bay as opposed to the yeah, Super Bowl. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, well, obviously, from your point of view, I don't know why, but you missed that uh, game-winning field goal, and, uh, you know, a lot of Giants fans would have felt, you know, our opportunity's gone. We get the interception by Corey Webster in, uh, in overtime. You, you skipped out there very quickly for that field goal. You didn't even give the head coach a decision to, to make. Can you recall it? Tom Coughlin, that situation, his face was red and all the rest that came with that game? There was a lot to unpack in that game, but um, survival comes to mind, just trying to survive um, those temperatures, minus 28, wind chill. I mean, it was, um, you know, I've talked about this at length. So the, the field goal I missed was about eight minutes left, a 43-yarder wide left. Um, I hit it really well. I just didn't make it. And uh, if you probably read anything or heard stories about me, I'm the kind of guy I don't can, can we cuss on here? I don't give a shit. Like if I miss, I, I just missed. I, I can't, I'm not a guy that, you know, kicking in the NFL is what do you do after you miss? It's not how many you make in a row because everyone's going to make a ton of kicks in a row. Right. But we see guys fall off cliffs when they miss a kick or, and then they keep missing and then they keep missing and they can't get out of, you know, Blair Walsh, right. Think about, that little tiny kick he missed in the playoffs. Blair Walsh was never, ever really a guy again because he could never unpack that miss. Um, so kicking to me was always, what can you do? After, what do you do after you miss in the NFL? And that's how you're evaluated. So um, it was miserable conditions. Uh, the one at the very end, you know, that was a terrible snap and hold. The whole operation was off. It was a mess. And in those conditions, if you're not, if everything's not perfect, you're not going to make the kick. But when Corey made that pick, I was, I was pretty sure that Tom was going to be him and Han about kicking it. So I said, let me just make his mind up for him. And so when that ball, when Corey, or actually Corey picked it, Steve Smith drops a ball maybe on third down on that drive. I sprinted out there because I knew, I, I felt confident about the way I'd hit the 43-yarder if I just started a little bit further to the right. And I knew if we got a good snap and we got a good hole, I, I would make it. I mean, that's just my mindset. So um, we, we did, we got a good snap, we got a good hold and we made the kick. So, um, I never lacked for confidence. I almost had like athletic arrogance out there. Um, I never let misses bother me. It was one, one strength of my career, which, it, which is the strength of a lot of these kickers out here. Now, the guys that, that play a long time are the guys that they can get over misses and compartmentalize. Cause I think in my career, I only missed two field goals, maybe twice or three times in my entire career in a game. And that was obviously one of them. 
Um, I love you bringing up Blair Walsh, Lawrence, because the Blair Walsh project uh, mm. for a horror movie was always kicking in Minnesota because Vikings kickers have had such a horrific... It's um, been a bad history. run, and it's a dome, too. Um, it's, well, I mean, it didn't used to be, obviously, but yeah. Yeah, uh, they were outside for a couple of years while they were building. But um, also, I mean, just so every, our viewers are aware, like, you kicked a 47-yarder in that same Packers game. That's still the longest ever field goal made in the postseason at Lambeau Field, which obviously in the postseason in January isn't a great place to kick it. So um, no. it's not like it, it's shots. still bizarre to me that that still holds because, um, you know, the Packers are generally in the playoffs every year. Um, this year it could get broken. I mean, there's so many guys kicking long field goals um, and it's been a bit milder here in the U.S. I mean, I'm in Kansas City where it's usually snowing and 20 degrees on Christmas. It's going to be like 65 degrees on Christmas here. So um, good, good I think the weather's... Conditions. Yeah, it would be great. Um, but, you know, the, but the, very, the next... Go, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to try and bring you back to the season, though, because we're talking about the NFC Championship game. But obviously, that doesn't mean as much if you don't win the game next week. And you've won two of them, gratefully, obviously. Now, for you, as Brian alludes to, I'm a Patriots fan, so it wasn't quite as enjoyable on my side, uh, or for Patriots fans or the Patriots team. But there's a lot been said in various books uh, about both those teams, about the speeches that Tom Cotterland gave before the games. Now, you were there and present for both of them. And, you know, we all see any given Sunday and we all see Friday Night Lights and the big inspiring speeches. But Cotterland doesn't strike me as that kind of a rah-rah guy. But what, was there anything from those speeches or those moments that you particularly recall that you'd like to share? He, he's, um, you know, Tom is, is, is a very personable person. Obviously, he's all business, black and white. This is your job. Do it. Um, but, you know, when he pours his, out, pours his heart out to the team like he did, especially the second one, I remember more. Um, you know, he talks about how you're not just a world champion. Your family becomes world champions and it's forever. And he goes, it's the, the greatest experience in life besides the birth of your children. But he called it the greatest professional experience you'll ever have. And he's right. Um, the reason you guys are talking to me is because I won Super Bowls. Um, you know, the reason I have a lot of the things I have is because of, you know, football and, and winning and being on good teams with a bunch of good guys. So, um, but Tom was very, he just always knew the right thing to say. He, he had a really good pulse of the team. And so anytime he could get fired up. I mean, I know you may not see that. He could get fired up on a Saturday night pregame. Um, very businesslike, but that those two Super Bowls, he he poured his heart into it. He got emotional. I don't think he had, he had tears. I don't know if Tom Coughlin does cry, but um, he does get emotional, um, and he you feel that, and so you respect him. And obviously, we went out and and played for him and all of the rest of our teammates. I'll see a final one from me, but just I suppose in terms of we've talked you talked about Tom Coughlin there, but. We look, uh, I'm sure it's the same in Scotland, but Irish people, we love stories. And the, the Giants honored that uh, 2011 team uh, this year, a decade later. Just wondering, uh, in terms of, you know, there are some uh, characters around that team, uh, Steve Weatherford and, and others. Are there, are there any uh, memories uh, that, that you have that you look back on as a kind of a, a band of brothers that uh, make you smile when you think back to a, a decade ago? You know, the week of the Super Bowl is always interesting because there's only one game in the world that's about to happen. So obviously the media scrutiny, but being being in that environment with the guys who you've, you know, spent 
blood, sweat, and tears with all year trying to make it, trying to get to that game, is it's hard to explain what that feels like. But just being there, you you don't want that week to end because you're there with the 52 other guys that, and plus your practice squad that got you there. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of stories. I can't think of any right off the top of my head. Maybe we'll do a show about Super Bowl week. And there's some fun stuff that goes on, but it's really business-like. I mean, it, it's fun and you want to enjoy the moments and, and take it all in, but you also need to factor in, you know, we're here for a game and we've got business to take care of because your families are, are all there the whole week and talking about how they went and did this or did this NFL experience. And you're like, that's great. You know, hopefully we can celebrate and get really drunk after the game. That'd be fun. LT, I love the Blue Rush podcast with, with Paul Swartz. Um, I think the main reason why I love it so much is because you're brutally honest and in, in your assessment of the team, good or bad. Um, oh, thanks. Is Joe Judge going to survive? I know Gettleman is not like the other You know, it's such, a, it's such a – you know, we're going to record tonight when I get home for tomorrow's show. It's, it, it's, it's so weird. I've never been so undecided on a coach that's – on a team that's this bad. I don't – because there's something I really, really like about Joe Judge, and I don't, I don't know what it is, or is he just that good of a salesman that he talks so much? I really think he's a good coach, but maybe he's just not the guy. Um, to be honest with you, because they've gotten worse. This team has gotten worse, and I know they've had a ton of injuries. So um, it, it's really hard to factor that in. Uh, I I don't know. I You know, I will see. I, I could see it going either way. I would like for him to stay just for continuity purposes, but then what are we doing? I mean, they, they're not very good. They stink, and he's part of that. So I, I find know. it very strange the past week, maybe the past four, and he's kind of changed his attitude in terms of the press conference. He's, he's like as if a guy who knows he's coming back. Even today he's saying, yeah, I spoke to yeah. Daniel Jones and he's coming back and he's going to be fine. Like We don't even know if Daniel Jones will be there next year or should be there next year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I like him too. I just feel like he's been dealt a pretty bad hand with injuries and players and offensive line. It's almost like the, you know, we just never helped him out enough. I, I don't know. I there's a lot that we'll we'll have to unpack here in the next couple of weeks, but Lawrence, I, I just want to say I love your honesty. The Giants think we're telling Brian that every week for basically the whole season, so it's good to hear it from you as well. But uh, on a serious note, um, it's been great having you join us. We're going to be really respectful of your time, but we will definitely reach out, and maybe get you back on again, especially yeah. at Super Bowl because. I'd love to just explore why Iron Brew is better than Carlsberg or Macbeth is better than Hamlet okay. or why Lawrence Times is better than Morton Anderson if we or, weigh up the Scotland-Denmark debate. Oh, yeah. We'll just we'll just have a Scottish-Scotland versus Denmark match. Sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. Lawrence, um, right. uh, for our audience, if you want to catch him, you, as Brian just alluded to, do a great podcast uh, on a weekly basis, the Blue Rush podcast. Uh, is it a particular Twitter handle or a particular place where people LT4 go? Kicks is my Twitter. That's the one. Thank you. LT4 cause... Quicks. I just followed you guys. You guys didn't even follow me, by the way. What the hell? We are following you. No. Right. I, 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 I clicked follow no. and it. Oh, well, I'll tell you something. Some underhanded Broncos fan within our group, and yeah, it's not column. Must have Harris unfollowed Jr. you. No, Look I thought we were following you. Look at that rubbish we'll orange jersey right there. Thank you so much for joining All us, right. mate. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a good night. Thank you. See ya. Bye. Yeah, take care.